dangers. Dangers in this topic. I think it's really important to think about that category because a danger in this topic um, is, is that there are, we live in extremes. Most of us live our lives in extremes. You probably go from a great diet to like a horrible diet, right? You, you go from like saying, I'm never going to eat sugar again to like everything is sugar. You know, we, we live in these extremes and an extreme that could happen in your heart tonight is that you've been living in shoddiness, you've been living in mediocrity, and you might just swing way over into the side of excellence and think that excellence is what God really wants out of you and that he desires that so much. So you swing way over over to that side and I want you to just to listen before we start. There, there's just a danger that I want you to listen to and be warned of. And I, I, I've been telling myself this this week. Listen to what Jesus says to the groups of people in the Bible who loved the outward show of worship. And they did not love the object of their worship. So listen to that sentence one more time. They loved the outward show of their worship and not the object of that worship. That's a danger Right there, obviously. In Matthew and in Mark, Jesus addresses the Pharisees who would have destroyed us when it comes to forms of excellence in worship, right? <laughs> Every one of us. This is well documented. I'm not telling you anything new there. They would have destroyed us. And what does Jesus do? He looks at them in both in Matthew and Mark, and he quotes Isaiah. And what does he say to them? He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So there's a danger in excellence in worship. You all know this. I know that. Let me just remind you again. And when your heart swings to that side and you think, I want to do everything perfectly, there's a danger on that side. Also in, in the book of Amos, he addresses the people of Israel. And he says this to them. Take away the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps. I will not listen to them. These people thought that getting the right notes was what God was after. Isn't that crazy? To which God would probably say, I have more angels in heaven that would play me such more beautiful music. What God's after was their heart. Um, and so if you fall, on, um, if, if you fall um, one extreme or the other, tonight I want to talk a little bit about these guardrails. Um, the guardrails of um, passion and excellence um, for God is, is one side of the guardrail, um, but the other one is seeing that none of this really matters. God just really likes my um, heart to be happy in him, and whatever I do is going to be okay. So those are kind of the two guardrails, and I'm hoping that we're going to stay somewhere in the middle. Now let me just, one other warning, okay? One of those guardrails, um, the one of excellence, is um, it's like a cliff on the other end of that guardrail. <laughs> you know, if you go off that one, you're going down the cliff. If you go off into shoddiness, you're going to be in a ditch. You might be ineffective, um, but let me, th there's a good warning there. Make sure that um, you are, you're accurately looking at this, this situation here. Um, God wants your heart, and he does. He wants excellence, but tonight, just hear that. That's a really important thing. So let me start by telling you just a, a quick story about my life. When I was in 12th grade, I was in a small choir ensemble at my church. Um, we sang contemporary songs in choir settings, like uh, Point of Grace, Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and we all matched in clothing. So... Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say that it was a poor judgment time of life in general. Um, it, I was involved in this, though, mostly because I had a girlfriend that was involved in this choir. 
I spent, this was category, the, the first thing that was important was spending time with her, making her laugh, all that kind of stuff. Second thing was hanging out with my guy friends that were there. The third thing was probably that I had something to do. Fourth or fifth on the list somewhere in there was actually being involved with this choir. Um, I never came to anything, um, I never came to any of our times of practice with anything memorized. I don't think I ever listened to one of these songs outside of when we were actually supposed to be practicing. And I was just basically, I was too cool for school, right? You know that guy. I, I was, I thought I was way too cool. So um, I actually, this is kind of embarrassing, but I would get up on stage for this choir not knowing any of the songs. Like I would, have you ever seen that SNL uh, with Kath and Garth when they, uh, they like start singing the words um, at the same time? Like I would watch the guy next to me for what the words were. I mean, it was, it was bad and I had a pretty strong stomach, I guess. But um, it was embarrassing to everyone else except to me. So one, one day the director came up to me and said, Daniel, this has got to change. He was very gracious, and I said, totally, dude, I know it, I'm sorry, I promise it will not happen again, but it didn't. I knew it wouldn't, I kept my same pattern of interest going on, I would actually get up there and sing again without knowing any of the words, trying to fake it the entire time. So then one day the director said to me, Daniel, I'm kicking you off the team. Now I knew that I had a pretty decent voice, I knew that my good voice was supposed to be my free pass in life, right, uh, as most people like that think. My, it was going to be my free pass. Why in the world are you doing this to me? Um, and so I started begging him. I asked him if he, I could stay on, um, but he said no. So now let me tell you this. The only thing worse than singing on a small ensemble group doing pop Christian music in uh, ensemble settings, choir settings, in matching outfits is getting kicked off of said small music ensemble. I never in my life wanted to sing this kind of music so badly. I begged the director, I begged him to get back on the team, no avail. He had wisely had enough. And now I had to watch from the audience as this small ensemble sang, and I was so much more embarrassed than I ever was than uh, trying to get up there and fake my way through the songs. Now, was this choir reaching into the edgiest parts of our culture to communicate the gospel? It was not. <laughs> uh, were we even interesting or excellent mu excellently musically um, to the people that were listening? Uh, probably not, as, that as well. Um, but was excellence and intelligibility extremely important to our director? It was. Now, I'm probably putting some uh, words in the mouth of this director, but I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's important, and it's important to me now for the same reasons. Um, my guess is that he felt like the times of gathered worship needed to have orderliness and excellence because it had gospel implications. These are not an end of themselves, but they help us accomplish something that is very, very important Exactly what we're talking about tonight, intelligibility or clarity or precision. So I want to talk about this from 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm going to ask you if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to read um, verse 6 through 12 right now, and then uh, a, a couple verses later. Um, but I want to show you from this scripture that I think Paul cares very deeply about this subject, 
And as we look at this, um, I'm, I'm just praying that God would um, be gracious like he has been opening my eyes this week to seeing how to think about excellence. It's important, but we have to put it in the right context. So 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to start in verse 6 and go through verse 12. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct, indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So the first point I w I'd like for you to see here, and, and, and the big category, I'm just going to show you my cards here from the beginning, like I said right when we started. Excellence needs to serve intelligibility. Excellence needs to serve intelligibility. Why do I think that from this? I think that the point that Paul is trying to make here is that, worship ser that the worship service is about building up the body. So he ends this section by saying this. Do you see that in verse uh, 12? He says, strive to excel in building up the body. Now, the, I know that this is important to Paul because he says this four different times in this chapter. Look at, look at these, these verses. Look at 14 verse 3. The one who speaks to the people for their upbuilding. Do you see that? Verse number 5, we see that same phrase again. Um, the one, unless someone interprets so that the body may be built up. We see it in our verse, verse 12, and then again in 26. And I think that we see here something in his commitment. Whatever happens in a worship service needs to be uh, for building up the body. Um, he is communicating this in a way. He's regulating the use of tongues. And he uses this idea of musical instruments to show how indistinguishable sound, um, they won't help the hearer. Like if a bad bugle player was playing the battle song. Can you imagine how bad that would be? If he plays the wrong song, the people are like, should we go, should we not, should we go? And then they get out there and they're killed. I mean, it's, that would be a horrible situation. And so he's saying, just like an indistinguishable note for a trumpet person, um, so is the, um, the, the intelligibility of a worship service. So how do we see Paul's commitment to building up the body? He says in verse 9, if you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? So to Paul, worship services are not helpful unless they are intelligible. Think about that. Unless people, unless they make sense, they aren't helpful to the body. And that's what he's saying there in verse 9. Try to be lifting up the body. Try to be encouraging the body with what you do. As I read this text, it doesn't seem like Paul is saying you can't exercise the gift of tongues. Now, there's one statement that you could raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Just keep going. But it does seem like what he is saying is make your desire not the gifts so much as edification. 
That seems like what he is saying. Your, the gifts don't need to be the thing that you care about so much. It's edification that you need to be caring about. Um, and I think he says that in verse 12. Even the use of tongues is to be understood by the whole body. So you need an interpreter. Even the gift of tongues needs to be interpreted so that the whole body can be lift, built up. Listen to what Calvin says about this passage. I thought this was really good. By these words, he intimates that to speak in an unknown tongue is not to hold fellowship with the church, but rather to keep aloof from it. And that he will, who will act this part will be deservedly despised by others because he first despises them. What's Calvin saying there? He says that when you try to talk in a way where you are not understood, when you're doing something that is not understood by the body, you're actually despising the body. You're showing them that you don't love them, but you're showing them that you want to, to be known for those gifts, right? And uh, in, in a moment, we're going to talk about this. I think that it, has, um, it just displays selfishness. It just compla displays complete selfishness. So there needs to be something that makes, uh, makes sense in these worship services. And why is it despising? I think that we just answered that because it's intelligible. It's not intelligible. Uh, so the takeaway, we're going to look at another passage. But one takeaway, just as a snapshot here, that I would, I would give is that as we plan our worship services, that we want everything that we do to be understood culturally understood and lyrically understood. Now, I know that right there, that, that, that sentence has a lot of implications that I can't answer for you. Um, I, I know that I can, it's, it's interesting because I'm in a context now where the, the cultural intelligibility is very different than it used to be. And you are as well. You're in places that I don't know what your cultural uh, intelligibility is or your lyrical intelligibility is. I'm not here to tell you, but just kind of blanket. I am here to tell you, though, that um, it needs to make sense to the people that you're leading, and you need to be clearly, we need to be clearly commu communicating uh, this gospel message. Um, because, as Paul says, it's not, you, you're there to build up the body, and it's, it's just selfishness. It's despising the body um, if, if that's not happening. Um, so let's look at um, three more verses. Um, verse, if you'll pick up in verse 23, we're going to read from 23 to 26. Um, it says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. That's that phrase again. Let all things be done for the building up. He says that four times in this chapter, which is all about corporate worship. I think he's trying to push something into us people that plan for corporate worship so again we see that our spiritual gifts and desires are not as important um, are not more important than the fact that the worship service is understandable to those that come worship services need to be understandable to those that come they've actually um, the, the people that come when they watch a worship service at Corinth um, 
they think that they're out of their minds. Now you can, the picture that I got when I read that verse about everybody comes in and everything's going on at one time. Have you ever seen like one of those old uh, family TV shows like Full Full House? I grew up going to watching Full House. Remember like when, like when the dad walked in and like one of the older men walked in and like all of the kids had something to tell them at one time. It was like mass chaos, like daddy, daddy, you know, or if anybody's a parent here, you know that that's what life is like normally. You know, everybody's talking to you at one time, and what, what that that just com- that it seems um, like a zoo. It's it's hard to understand. You have to say, okay, everybody, shut up. All right, first you talk, and then you talk, and then you talk. You know, that's how you that's how you try to get order of everything. Um, but that's the picture that we get here. It's like a zoo. Every everybody has something to say, and they all think. Li- listen, this is important. They all think that they have equally valid things to say. Some people are even talking in a language that the newcomers can't understand. And so that's why Paul puts in these regulations. He says, you need to have an interpreter. And I'm, again, I'm not getting into all of that, whether or not um, we believe that these have ceased or not. What I am saying is that we see a principle happening here by Paul that he says it has to be understood. You have to be intelligible. You have to make sure that people understand what they are listening to. So what's the gist of this approach? Again, like we said a minute ago, it's selfishness. It might not have seemed like selfishness to these people since they all thought they were doing this body a great service, but it was essentially selfishness. Their opportunity to talk or be heard was more important to them than the message, than that the message be clearly communicated. Their desire to say that was more important to them than that the message be clearly communicated. Um, so let me just kind of do one quick side note. Um, I'm trying to find a clock. Is there a clock around here? Um, okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you give me like the, the wink or the this or something, Daniel, but um, I'm, I'm closing in on the end here. Um, it, this is just a good, uh, I think it's a helpful thing, just a, um, a side note. Um, in your church, this is one of the blessings of leadership, I think. Um, we need to encourage our leadership, be thankful for leadership, and also pray for leadership that they have wisdom to say, don't do that, or please do that. And let's not buck against leadership when, they, when they're trying to say to us, I don't think that you need to do that. Because what's the first thought? It's like, hey, I, um, I've got this amazing gift, man, and you really, <laughs> you really don't know how great it is, right? And, uh, and maybe it, what you're not doing is you're just not listening to me right now. Like if you actually listen to me, you would realize it's just as amazing as uh, I think it is. Um, and this is, some, this is a reason I think most of you are probably leaders having to make those decisions. So um, let me continue to encourage you to do them. It's good. It's, it's great for our body to have this editorial process that you say, you know, get out of here. You can't do that. Um, but if you are in the position of submitting your gifts to a leader, do it humbly. Um, work hard. Teach people underneath you to do this with humility, to ask questions. Should I do this? Am I good enough to do it yet? Um, I can think back to um, a stage in my life when I definitely thought my, I, my thought of my gifts were a lot better than the, uh, the actual ability um, that was there, that was present. I'm thankful that there were leaders that were saying, come on, keep going, keep going, because that's a blessing. So we have to have wisdom in encouraging it. Um, but just think about um, if you are submitting to your leaders, do it in humility and ask them because they are the ones that are kind of editing the process for intelligibility. Um, so encourage them and pray for them. 
Look at verse 24 and 25 one more time and see what happens when the message is clearly communicated and articulated. I think that this is like what Daniel said a minute ago. This is one of the most humbling passages in the Bible because it shows us that God is, um, God uses us completely messed up, most of the time unintelligible communicators and to do an amazing work, right? So verse 24, let's just read it again. Be awed. Uh, in awe of God that does this. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secret of it, secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So one question you might have, this is just a side note, one question you might have as you look at that. So everybody goes from speaking in tongues to all prophesying at one time. Now, so again, I don't know that you might have like questions. Don't just keep your hands down. I have no idea. But what he's saying, <laughs> what he's clearly saying here is that what, what we've gone to is chaos to intelligibility. That's what he's saying here. That we have gone from everything happening, it's convoluted, everything's crazy, to a very distinguishable, sensible message. And so the outsider or the unbeliever, he comes in. And what happens? Something amazing happens here. We go from a situation where the outsider can't understand to something that he clearly understands. Now, there's something happening here. There is a work of God happening in his heart that you and I cannot do. So we are, we are means by which God uh, does this work, but we are not the we are not the actors in this, right? It, it's just amazing how God does this work. But um, I mean, we've all been in situations where God so chooses for the lights to come on. So somebody has heard this message over and over. I think the two categories are interesting: an outsider or an unbeliever. So I don't know what to make of those two categories, but I, I'm taking a stab at it here. That this is probably somebody that might have heard the message a lot. He's an outsider. He's somebody that's not in, but he, he clearly understands, and God just turns the lights on. Or an unbeliever that came in completely um, believing something else, and again, God just did the work. He opened up his eyes. And, and what happens here is, is amazing. Let me show you something. Um, we'll quickly show you this. Go to 1 Corinthians 3.13 really quickly. The same word that's used here where he says disclosed, do you see that word? If, you're at, if you have an ESV, you'll see the word disclosed there. That exact same word is used in 3.13. Each one's work will become manifest. And that's where he's talking about on the last day, God's going to burn everything up. And everything, everything that you built with, with shoddy work or bad work, that's going to get burned up in a second. And everything's going to be manifest. It's going to be shown. And everything that you've built with, with bad materials, is going to get burned up in a second. That's the exact same word he's using here. It's like, I, I thought about it, like, you know, in seventh grade biology, when you dissect a frog or something, like, you, it's just laid bare. Like, God just lays him bare. And he understands the gospel for the first time. Everything is exposed in his heart. And it's almost like we're listening to what happens in Isaiah. When he sees a vision of almighty God, what does he do? He just falls down. And what's amazing is that God gives us, all of us, the privilege of being a part of a service like this. Intelligibility happens. God chooses to show up in this way, in this particular way. And this guy is just laid bare. 
So the clarity of the word is broken through to this unbeliever outsider, and he has an encounter with Almighty God. Um, I think even, I think we could probably even think of times in our lives where God's done this with us, right? Just going along, going along, and all of a sudden, I can think of a time my second year at Southeastern, sitting in Binkley Chapel, listening to a sermon on the right side of the chapel, and all of a sudden, I just, it was like God opened up my heart, and... Um, and I mean, these times are so sweet and precious, and, uh, and I think that, again, we just need to um, stand in awe of God that he allows us to, to be a part of this, this amazing thing, that he, this amazing work that he does. Uh, so one more time, look at verse 26. We'll notice one more time that Paul says that when you gather, um, it's not in, important to spotlight your gifts. The gathered worship is not uh, a time for you to spotlight your, spotlight your, your gifts. It's the primary reason, reason for being spoken or being done in the body is for the building up of the body. So the primary reason that things are spoken or done or whatever in the body, with the body, is for the building up of the body. Those are the primary reasons. So uh, again, we've said that this is just a mystery of God that you get to do this, I get to do it. Shouldn't we just stand in awe? We just need to be so thankful. God, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. Um, so I want to hit just a few applications. Can somebody tell me how I'm doing on time? Do I have like five minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes? Okay, so I've got like 20 minutes. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> so I've got three things that God just kind of worked in my heart by way of application for this. Um, that I hope will be helpful for you. So three continued guardrails. Uh, I haven't talked about that a lot while I've been talking, but I want us to see these as guardrails because, again, we just swing in and out, don't we? we just, we're going to swing back and forth. And I, I'd like for us to think about the guardrails as excellence and then probably like laziness, somewhere in that range. Um, so the first one is... Um, that we're going to talk about is um, the concern in worship uh, of intelligibility. Uh, the most important thing to note is that God made us as emotional. This isn't most important, but it is important. God made us emotional and rational, right? So uh, I think you can all think of times where you were listening to a song and um, for some reason it just struck a nerve with you and you started crying or you're listening to, have you ever been to like a huge conference or something and you just hear everybody singing at the same time and you stop singing and you just hear the the voice of all like thousands of people and it's like overwhelming you know it's like a weight on your chest like amazing and it's overwhelming and it and it wouldn't be the same as if you were just kind of listening maybe singing it yourself you know and um, I don't understand how, why and how God made us that way, but I think it's good to acknowledge that we are emotional and rational people. Um, so if tonight I came to you and I said this, I said these words, I'm struggling today, I'm struggling really bad, what I need is for God to make me want heaven more than sin. You would all listen to that and say, okay, those are good orthodox kind of words. I'm thankful that he just said that. But what if I said, or what if we sang, and um, like we sang a little earlier, what if I said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my life, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. When he, Robert Robertson, the guy that wrote that, um, probably is going to make you uh, feel something a lot different than what I said, right? 
Because he did it, he, he thought of ways to put things and phrase things well so that it grabbed both your rational mind and your emotional mind. And he said it so well. Um, and I think that this is one of the beauties that we have in, in particularly when what we do in, in communicating the gospel. Um, obviously, again, guardrails, right? Don't, don't go off the guardrail. Don't go off the cliff. But think about um, this. I am moved by Robert Robertson's words. I'm moved by them, but I'm not moved by mine. Even though I said the exact same thing, I'm moved by his words. Um, so this made me think of about three or four things. I don't know if you want to write these down, but just kind of think about them. Strive to say things well. This is a part of excellence. Strive to say things well. Now, I know everybody would, would say, I want to say things well. Everybody kind of starts at that. Um, but what happens is um, striving to say things well for most of us doesn't come easy. I, I know very few communicators like a... I'm like Matt Chandler or, you know, some of the guys that come and speak at chapel. You know, these guys are just all-stars, and they probably came out of the womb say, you know, speaking well. And uh, most of us are not that way. And so striving to say something well means something for us that it doesn't mean for other people. It means we think about it. We have to work hard and think about it. Um, don't, this is another thing I wrote down, don't pray the same phrases over and over again. Have you ever been to a church service and you know a guy's shtick and he just kind of says that over and it's kind of like, man, that first time was awesome. And then like for, you know, time five and six and seven, after a while, it's like, good gracious, could you please come up with a better way of saying that? And what has it done? It's lost some of that punch, Right. It's lost a little bit of its uh, ability to, um, to communicate well. Um, tired phrases do that same thing. You, you, you know, cliche Christian phrases. They have a way of just not communicating very well. And what does it take to get out of that rut? It takes thinking. It actually takes sitting down and like writing stuff down and trying to think through um, what you're going to say. I, I wrote this down that I, you might try studying things like this, studying poetry or study. I know that, that like some of you guys that are like, guys, you're like, oh, there's no way I'm studying poetry. But thinking about how to phrase things well, it's so important. You're, most of you are communicators. And if you don't think about how words string together and are put together, then um, some of your communication is just kind of falling off, even though it's orthodox, even though it's, it could be correct. Um, so another thing is just um, making sure that you're, um, that you're reading and reading good things, reading things that kind of make you um, think and, and work hard. So anyways, those are just kind of that one guardrail. Excellence, I think it's important. Um, one other thing about excellence, um, on the, um, I, I probably speaking, well, a lot of you might be creative people. I, I don't know that I would call myself a creative, but I love creative type things. And I have, um, some of you might have ambitions of writing music or other creative things. I'm not an expert. I promise you I'm not an expert. But I love doing this. I, I love getting to write. Um, I love writing music. I love thinking about this. And um, I think that some of the most important advice I could ever give you, give you about this is thinking about your craft um, and working hard at it. Uh, figure out what you're not doing very well and try to focus a lot of energy and time at that. 
Um, I, I, would, I would say that um, about, like, e- even in worship leading, I, I realized about myself about five or six years ago that when I opened up my mouth to talk in worship leading context, I, um, I was even like, man, that was bad. <laughs> you know, like, I, I just wasn't making sense. It was like all these tired phrases, and I, I didn't make any sense. And I started trying to work at this really, really hard. For me, it meant writing everything down. I'm just not naturally, I didn't, again, come out of the womb like that, like naturally articulate. And so I started writing every Sunday. Um, actually, Laura can probably tell you, even in my prayers, um, she was, she's one of the pianists at Providence. And, um, and sometimes I would give her my prayers because she would be playing a little bit of music. Under. I wrote down everything I said um, because I knew that the second I get off the reservation, you know, I'm like, I'm going to not say good things, you know. So I, I, need to, I need to make sure that I know exactly what I'm saying. This is, this is an area some of you might struggle in the same way. You, you just don't say things very well. It's kind of like hard to listen to you. And, um, and so you need to, you really, honestly, you need to look in the mirror and say, ah, I'm not doing that very well. Um, and, and just, and, and work at it. Let me, let me just read you a quote. Some of you might have heard this. Who's heard of Ira Glass um, from NPR? So you, a lot of you probably have heard this quote before. I'm, um, this is a really, really famous quote about creative stuff. But I have been so helped by this. Um, because it's encouraged me to think about craft well. And this is a good, good way of thinking about it. He says this. It's kind of a lengthy quote, so I'll try to read it articulately. Um, what nobody tells people who are beginners, and I really wish someone would have told this to me, is that all of us who do creative work, we get into this because we have good taste. But there's this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff, and it's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is, what, uh, your, is why your work disappoints you. And a lot of people never get past this, fra- this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our, best, we know our work doesn't have that special thing that, that we want it to have. And we all go through this. And if you're, if you're just starting out or you still in, you're still in this phase, you've got to know that it's normal. And the most important thing that you can do is do a lot of work. Put yourself on deadlines so that each, work you're, each week you're finishing something. It is, only be, it is only by going through this volume of work that you will start to close the gap a little bit. And your work will be as good as your ambitions. And it's going to take a while, and it normally does take a while, but you've got to fight your way through. I always think, I mean, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but um, I just think that what I hear in that is a guy that understands that it just takes time and work and a grind. It's, uh, most of us are just not naturally the, that way. And, um, and so that's just a, a good word for, for you that are wanting to be, uh, that have creative ambitions. So let me say, this is my last point now. Um, and this is the one that I think my heart's probably closest to. Um, a, a lot of worship leaders feel a burden to make a worship service go well, go excellently. Um, I know for myself, I'll just kind of speak from experience. When I started leading uh, musical worship, I felt this amazing burden on myself for things to go well. For people, like people used to walk up to me 
And um, actually, not a lot they would say this, but every now and then I had somebody say, like, oh, man, when you played this morning, Daniel, I was just in the presence of God. Like, you ushered me into the presence of God. Have you ever heard anybody say that before? So what come, like, what they're saying is, like, like, horrible, you know? Like, it's, like, so, like, oh, man, I did? Well, maybe I'm good at this. Man, maybe, you know, when I start strumming, man, it happens. So, you know, this is good stuff. Or think about this. Like, what if, what if we're playing the song and, like, everybody's there, like, it's the throne room. Everything's amazing. And then all of a sudden, I play, like, a wrong note. And it's like, Rrr. and everybody, you know, then everybody's out of the throne room. And I've just messed up everything. Like, what, what do I do at that point? All of this pressure is on me to, like, bring people somewhere. And I don't know if I can do it every week, right? And so some of you have kind of felt that pressure before. You have to make it excellent. You have to make it great. And, um, and, and so the weight of that is just uh, too much to bear. And so I want to tell you, it, it's too much to bear for a reason, because you were never meant to bear it, okay? Um, you were never meant as a worship leader to bring people into the presence of God. Now, there's something important. So we've talked about guardrails tonight. Guardrails are so important here. Um, should you be intelligible? Yes. Should everything you do, when you stand up um, and, and communicate the gospel, should it be intelligible? I think that 1 Corinthians 14 overwhelmingly says, please don't do things that people um, are, are sitting there scratching their heads trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but you were never, ever meant to carry the burden of bringing people into the presence of, presence of God. I think if I have two minutes, I want to show you this from Scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. This is, um, God has used this to just, oh, encourage my heart over and over and over again. We'll end with this. Hebrews chapter 2. Um, so I'm just going to read verse 12, but I would encourage you, if, if God kind of uses this to speak to your heart, go back and start uh, at the beginning of the chapter, or at least in verse 10. But I'm just going to read to you from verse 12. Uh, verse 12 um, it says this, and this is a quotation from Psalm 22. And if you'll remember, Psalm 22 starts with, it's that famous one, Jesus is on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it ends with these types of verses where Jesus, I think we see from Psalms, Jesus is the one gathering his people to worship after he has walked through the worst thing in their place, which is the cross, uh, which is the cross for them. So he says this, I, Jesus, Jesus I will tell of your name to my brothers. Your there is God the Father. So I, Jesus, will tell of your name, God the Father, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So what's happening there? This is, I think I probably read this a hundred times a long years ago and never understood what's happening here. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you is that Jesus stands in the midst of the congregation and when they're gathered in worship and he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. I, Jesus, I'm present in the body. I'm present in the congregation. So your songs and the voice of Jesus, they, they come together and they go up to God as a pleasing offering. And so something's happening there that you could never, ever, ever do in a million years, which is, God is pleased as he hears your song. Why? Because it's mingled with the voice of Jesus. 
It's mingled with Jesus' voice. And so you have such a, you have um, strength, confidence as you, as you stand up. You know Jesus is present here. Um, have you ever been to a worship service where like the, the, the piano is like out of tune? There's like four people, maybe they're even singing out of, you know, they're singing out of tune. It just sounds horrible. And you're like, oh man, this isn't moving here. This is lame. And, uh, you know, they've fallen off the guardrail. They're in the ditch of the guardrail, you know. Um, and so it's bad. But um, it, you would be really, really uh, wrong if you said something like, Jesus is not here. Jesus isn't present. Because when his body gathers together, it's his voice and our voice. It's coming together, going up to the Father. Let me read you a quote by C.S. Lewis that's been really helpful as I think about this. It says this, We must beware of the naive idea that our music can please God as it would please a cultivated human hearer. That is like thinking under the, old cov- under the old law that he really needed the blood of bulls and goats, to which the answer came, mine are the cattle upon a thousand hills, and if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. If God in that sense wanted music, he wouldn't tell us. For all of the offerings, whether of music or martyrdom, are like the intrinsically worthless present of a child which the Father values indeed, but values only for the intention. So God is, um, God is gracious in that he allows us this opportunity, um, but we shouldn't ever think that it is our skill, our playing, um, that's really um, moving the heart of God to, to move, or it will uh, call people to do what happened in verse 24, which is um, where they lay, become laid bare. They fall before Almighty God. Um, so I'm just going to pray now that God would do that, that he would work that in our hearts, that we'd have so much confidence in his scripture, um, and, and then again, we would lead in that way, okay? Father, thank you for the, for the time to think about your word. God, we, um, I think we can all identify with the church at Corinth. Our churches and we are just filled with just messiness. God, we, we just mess up so many things, and I just... It's amazing to me that you would entrust such important things to us. And Father, we just want to stand in awe of you tonight. We want to say thank you for the privilege. God, we want to lift up to you lives of excellence. We want to work hard at this craft that you've given us. But we also, at the same time, want to just be wise in our thinking that you don't need us. You don't need any of these songs. You don't need any of this beautiful music. God, what you're after is our hearts. So, Father, I pray for all these leaders, for for singers, for musicians, for worship leaders and pastors, all the people that are present here tonight. I pray, God, that you would be gracious, that in their preparation and all of our times of leading, that you would uh, begin to do this work, cultivate this work in our hearts so that we would would see some of the fruition of what you have commended to us in 1 Corinthians 14. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God for his word faithfully taught. It is good. It is good. Uh, Everyone got a schedule. I pray at the registration table. If you didn't, be sure to pick one up. There's also a map of the campus. Uh, This is our first time ever trying something like this, so please be very gracious if you get lost or if somebody gets confused or if 
you signed up for a session and it's not what you thought it was at all. Really pray that uh, you'll be edified by, by it all. Um, uh, tonight, there's a base session going.